what's in a name? Back in the day when they would name people, very often the name had a meaning to it. Very often that was a foreshadowing of how this person would live and what would happen in their life. Of course, most of that was done by the providential hand of God, and he, it was for the purpose of scriptures. But in recent days, I don't think there's much name going on, the naming of people going on that is a foreshadowing or has prophecy attached to it. I don't think there's too much of that. My dad used to tell the story that he met someone who was good with languages, and when he said, this is my son Steve, this man smiled and said, oh, that name means, and I don't remember what dad said it meant. And then when he said, this is my son Scott, um, the man smiled and just changed the subject. And dad, the story that dad tells is he was curious about that, so he wondered what my name meant, and he looked it up in the book, and it said it meant tattooed. <laughs> now, I don't know what book dad was looking in, because I have looked many times in these name books at what my name means, and every time I read it, it says, of or from Scotland. Now, to be perfectly honest with you, I've had neither the inclination to go get tattooed or to change my citizenship. So I guess the foreshadowing days are over. You may or may not like your own name, but I don't believe anybody here has felt compelled to go live your life based on whatever you were named as a child. I know there are some names that you might prefer to your name. Names that sound cool, or as Shakespeare said, names that fall trippingly from the lip. But that's a whole different deal. Apart from meaningless, goofy definitions and ways that names sound, one name is pretty much like the next. When the Bible says that the Lord has a name that is above every name, all that we have discussed so far is not what it's talking about. So, here it is again, time for you to use your brain. What does it mean? We very often skip through phrases like this. We ever only give them a cursory attention because it's not the meat of the, the, the subject. And so we just skip over the top of it. Oh, yeah, we know what that means. It's got a name above every name. And we just barely even think about it. So what does it actually mean? Practically, actually, what does a name that is above every name mean? I'm going to give you a second to formulate that thought. What does it mean? I feel like we ought to play the Jeopardy music now, but we'll just let you think, what does that mean? Don't just sit there. Force your brain to work. It's always easy to sit force your brain. What does it mean? A name that is above every name. How many at least have maybe, a, I'm not going to call on you, so you can be honest here. How many have, a na uh, have an idea of how this could be defined? How this could, what this means? Okay, now the other hand. How many of you are awake here tonight? Okay, let's. <laughs> All right. So here we go. 
The word name isn't referring to the proper noun by which we identify somebody. Okay, that's not, in the Bible, that's not what it means in this context. It's not the proper noun by which we identify someone. In other words, if my parents would have named me Albert, I wouldn't have done some amazing mathematical equations. If they had named me Adolf, I would not have felt compelled to take over the world. If I lived in Mexico and my parents had named me Jesus, I would not have had a name above all names. Do you understand? Those are the proper nouns. That's not what it's talking about here. The word name in the Bible denotes character. It refers to everything that comes to a person's mind concerning the person who, to whom is being referred. It refers to a person's authority, a person's interests, a person's pleasure, a person's commands, a person's achievements, a person's attributes, a person's deeds. That's what it's referring to. In other words, it refers to all the parts that make up the sum total of a person. That's what it's referring to. So take that and plug that into our phrase. Christ has a name that is above every name. Now, the word above here means more than. It means over. You know, interestingly enough, it is often translated exceeding or meaning a lot more or far above, which, by the way, actually fits perfectly into our passage of Scripture here. So it means more than or above. So plug this all in. Just like when you were in, mat in, uh, in school, plug this thought in. The character of Jesus Christ, the nature of Jesus Christ, the attributes of Jesus Christ, the authority of Jesus Christ, the commands of Jesus Christ, the interests of Jesus Christ are far superior, are much greater, are exceedingly better than the nature, attributes, authority, commands, interests of anybody else that you can name. That gets pretty clear. All of the different parts that make up the Lord Jesus, when you take them and compare them with anybody else in that context, they are, he is far above. All right? A name that is above every name. So step number one is, do you know what a name above every name means? We just explained that. I hope that you do. That's step number one. Step number two. What does that mean practically? Now that we've defined what a name above all names means, what does it mean practically? It's not just a nice saying. It's not just a platitude. It's not just a catchy phrase. What does it mean practically? Christ has a name above every name. I'll give you a second to think about that. Here's our next step. What does it mean practically? All right, well, here we go. There's no way in the world that we could cover everything that this means. But let's at least walk down the road partway and then 
you'll have to walk the rest of that road yourself at some later time as you apply this. And I think it's important that you do as you walk with the Holy Spirit and let Him walk you down that road. But let's plug this thing in, just like you did when you were in math class. A name that is above every name. So let's take Christ's authority. Christ's authority far exceeds any other authority. Okay, do you see that? He has a name that's above every name. So if the, if the part we're talking about is Christ's authority, it's far above anybody else's authority. Now, what does that mean in your life? Well, let's think this through. Suppose I was in the Army. Never been in the Army. Too old now. So I was, suppose I was in the Army. I was a private in the Army. And my sergeant said, Vanderhart, go do thus and such. And on my way there, I run into the general. And the general says, uh-uh, you're not doing that. And countermands the order. If I say to the general, but my sergeant said, is that going to fly? <laughs> Why not? Because the general's authority far exceeds my sergeant. Do you understand this? Okay. Christ's authority far exceeds anybody else's authority. Another illustration. Say I live in a small town, small area, and it just so happens that I have a brother on the police department, and I have my uncle is the judge. And so the three of us work together, and we pass a law in our area. And that's the law now. But so suppose somehow the Supreme Court of the United States gets a hold of that and rules it unconstitutional. Is it still a law? No, why? Because a much higher authority has said, no way. Christ has a name above all names. He has authority far and away above all authority. So, let's think this through. Are you allowing any authority to supersede Christ? Are you allowing a name to be exalted above his name? You say, well, how does that happen? Very often, a teenage boy will see some teenage girl, and there is an interest sparked, and the next thing you know, that teenage boy is allowing this teenage girl to have ruling authority in his life. I think you've all seen this. It happens the other way as well. A girl will have a boyfriend who she gives superseding authority over Christ. Sometimes a child will allow a parent their, the parent's authority to supersede Christ. Sometimes a wife or a husband will put their spouse above Jesus Christ. Sometimes an employee will let the employer dictate policy in their life. 
Sometimes we allow the laws of men to supersede the authority of Jesus Christ in our lives. That girl, that boss, that spouse, that parent, that government has a name above all names. Not Jesus Christ. That's what we have done. We have taken another authority and given it the name above all names. Now let me be very clear here, lest anybody try to misuse my words. It's been a while back when I was working at Meyer Hall, and I was talking with this kid. He's coming a long way. He trusted Christ as his Savior. He was really making progress. But he committed a crime, and so he's waiting for trial, and so he goes to trial. After trial, he comes back, and we're talking. He said, well, I went into the courtroom, and I stood up, and I said to the judge, you have no right to judge me. Only God can judge me. <laughs> I said, you didn't say that, did you? He said, I did. I said, how'd that work out for you? Not well. <laughs> Go figure. Look. If he had been obeying the authority of Jesus Christ, he would not have been in that situation to begin with. Exactly. Our authority, the, the superseding authority of Jesus Christ, does not give us uh, the right to civil disobedience unless their law violates his law. Then we ought to obey God rather than men. We can't just say, well, I'm going to follow God. God has given us human authority here. He has delegated authority uh, to uh, judge. He has given it to the government to punish wrongdoers. And so this is not a, eh, I can do whatever I want thing because I'm submitting to the authority of God. It's not an excuse for civil disobedience. Another way this is used, I can remember when I first started here, computers were just really, home computers was just really starting to boom when I became a youth pastor here. And we were at that time working with another organization with a whole group of people, and they had a booth at the fair. So we would man the booth at the fair one or two uh, days of the, out of the, the whole fair thing. Anyway, computers were so new, do you, I don't know if you remember back in the day when you thought they, everybody thought computers knew everything. And so they had a big sign that said, the computer will tell you whether or not you're going to heaven. Well, I won't go into how all that all worked. It was a very simple thing. Uh, obviously, you, you ask the right questions and the way people answer them will tell you what, because it's, you know, but people are, you know, it got people's interest. So anyway, it was a series of questions. We won't get into all of that, but one of the questions on the the computer that came up was, it was a multiple choice thing, and it said, you cannot be Christ's disciple unless you blank your parents. Multiple choice. You cannot be Christ's disciple unless you, one of three choices, love your parents, obey your parents, or hate your parents. Now, if some of you are thinking you'll know that in Luke chapter number 14, the answer to that is you have to hate your parents. Now, obviously, 
Anybody here actually think that that's what that passage means? You've got to hate your mom and dad. <laughs> I despise my parents. I'm so godly. Okay. <laughs> Everybody here knows that. So what we had to do when we figured out what this is, I don't know if they ever changed the thing, but while we were there, when they get to that question, we'd quick hit the button and say, oh, there's a mistake in the programming here. <laughs> we'll just skip that question. Your authority under Jesus Christ is not give you an excuse to disobey or push your folks aside. That is not the way this works. Anybody who knows the scripture knows that that is not what the Bible teaches. True love for Christ causes you to love your parents. And the Bible is very, very clear on what that relationship ought to be. But there are times when Christ's authority must trump the parents. And I'll say it right now, heaven help the parent who makes their child feel like they have to choose between them and God. You are asking for disaster when you do that. Never make your kids feel like they have to choose between you and God. But Christ, my friend, does have a name that is above all names. His authority is not usurped by anyone. But what other applications of the word name? He has a name above every name. I think this broadens out a little bit. It also means Christ's interests or his commands, for instance. I, th I think you know that I don't have any outside antennas connected to my house. And so the reality is I almost never see commercials. What a great thing. But when I go on vacation, I'm first off shocked at how long commercials are. I'm also shocked at what they're advertising. I think, when did that become legal to even talk about that on TV? But anyway, it's an interesting thing that I have noted in my life. After watching commercials and watching TV for about a week while I'm on vacation, intermittently, you know, you're just watching these things. An interesting thing, after about a week, I find myself thinking, I think I want a cooler car. And I ought to do more exciting things in my life. And I wish I had that. I find that I, my attitudes and my affections are being taken in a different direction. What is that? Well, it's very simple. The interests and commands of this world are trying to become a name above the interests and commands of Christ. They're trying to move ahead so that they are dictating policy in my life. My friend, it's worth doing a little soul searching. It's worth holding a serious conversation with the Holy Spirit to find out just who is the highest in my life. Whose name is ruling? Who's dictating policy? Whose desires are the ones that are being followed in my life? Christ has a name above all names. Meaning his attributes are far and away exceeding better than anyone else's that you can name. Is that true in your life? Are the attributes of Christ 
the desire of your life? Are they the ruling authority? Whose attributes do you prefer? Do you prefer the meek and mild person of Jesus Christ or the in-your-face attitude of the Duke, which is John Wayne if you're under 25 years of age? Whose attitude do you prefer? The meek and mild person of Jesus Christ or that in-your-face that is so famous of the Duke? Who do you prefer, the humble spirit of Christ or the I am the greatest attitude of the professional athlete? Which is the attribute you like best? The bruised reed he will not break and the smoking flax he will not quench, that approach of the Lord? Or the bull in the china shop, tell, tell it how it is kind of thing, kill them all, let God sort them out that is so popular today? Which attitude do you most admire? Christ has the name that is above every name. It's hands down, far and away better in every category. He is the head, he is the pattern, he is the standard. To accept or desire anything less is to name another name above his. It is to take Christ, move him down, and put whoever that is there. Step number one, what does it mean, the name that's above every name? Step, step number two, how does this apply practically in our life? Step number three, when does it take effect? When does this take effect, this name that's above every name? I think it's really interesting in wartime. In wartime, the fighting is going on, and negotiations, negotiations are oftentimes taking place between the two countries. And in these negotiations, they will finally decide on either a ceasefire, which is a temporary uh, ceasefire, or a, what is the, I just lost my word here, a cessation of hostilities, okay, a permanent ending. Now, how does this work? They hammer out the details, and the, the war's still on. When they agree on the details, they say, all right, at 0, 0,100 hours, which is midnight, tomorrow, the war is, the there's a cessation of hostilities. It's over. Now, what that means is, up till midnight, you can kill, you can blow things up, you can do whatever you want, destroy, and it's okay. But after midnight, you're guilty of war crimes. That's interesting to me, don't you think? <laughs> okay, we've got the time, thing set on the calendar, and up to this point, it's all okay, but after that, it's, it's a disaster. You can't do that. Now, with that thought in mind, when did this take place? When does Christ actually have a name that is above every name? When does that go into effect? Well, if we look at verse number 10 and 11, we're given kind of a picture of the judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne judgment. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, and things in heaven, things in the earth, and things under the earth, and that every knee and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
So if we look at that, it, it kind of is giving us the idea that this is the judgment seat of Christ, the great white throne judgment. Because obviously, up until that point, we're not going to have every knee bowing and every tongue confessing. So ask yourself, when does the name become the name above all names? When does the violating of that name become an issue? Is it at the rapture of the church? I don't suppose anybody here is thinking, you know what, on heaven, I may just try to put somebody else's name above the Lord's. So I know that at that point you're saying, nope, that's not going to happen there. So when does this take effect? The name that's above every name. Answer that question in your mind. When does the name above all names come into effect? Now, I think we could easily make a, a case for that it's always been in effect, since Jesus Christ is the only begotten, eternal Son of God. I think we could say it's always been that way. But the passage is very clear about this specific event. Look at verse number 9. Wherefore God, hath also, wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name. Use your English skills here. We have two verbs. Can you pick out the verbs? Hath and given. Two verbs. Hath and given. Now, Think about your English class, verb tenses. Remember that class? You have three verb tenses that will make it easy. There's three verb tenses. They are past, present, future. Okay, hath and given. Which, which tense is this? This is a past tense verb, meaning this has already happened. Meaning his name above all names is already in operation. If you are not living that way, you are in violation of that name, and you will not be held guiltless. It is, you might say, a war crime. You have no right, you have no reason, you have no authority to allow any name to be above the name of Christ. My dear friends, you can mark it down right now. Christ has a name which is above every name.